You're listening to episode 53. Hey there, Business Generals family. Welcome to another super episode of the Business Generals podcast where I feature amazing guests and I ask in-depth questions about their entrepreneurial journey. You know, my belief is that it doesn't matter how your journey in life started. It's not that important because great or small, the important thing is how you finish. So whatever your situation today, I want you to know that you can get your hopes up, that you are good enough to chase your dreams. In today's show, family, I dig into how it all started for our feature guest, how they have built their brand, and I even get into all the juicy details about their big challenges, their growth moments, and all their big breakthroughs. So it's going to be an amazing show. I actually selfishly started this podcast because I love to hear how entrepreneurs did it and I wanted to ask the questions for myself. So really, I am the number one student. So get ready for amazing coaching tips, family, to help you maximize your business dreams. Welcome and thank you for joining me here on the Business Generals Podcast where I chat with amazing entrepreneurs five days a week and I'm very excited to have you here listening with us. My name is Davis Mutabo, your host. I am super excited to bring you today's feature guest, Miss Rebecca Coombs. Rebecca, welcome to the Business Generals Podcast. Thank you for having me on the show. Fantastic. Well, ladies and gentlemen, I first met Rebecca at a key person of influence event where she was speaking about her business and her journey. And I immediately started making plans to have her come onto this show to share her amazing story. So I'm, I'm very pleased that she could find time in her schedule. Rebecca Coombs is the founder of The Healthy Gut, where she writes cookbooks and recipes for people who suffer from a chronic illness called SIBO, small intestinal bacterial overgrowth, which um, I didn't know about until I uh, met Rebecca. So we're going to hear a little bit more about that and her story. And Rebecca has been um, a marketing consultant and uh, she hosts a popular podcast called The Healthy Gut Podcast. She knows how to grow a global audience in a short space of time, and she's here to share her story and much more. Rebecca, why don't you kick us off and just tell us a little bit about your personal story outside of business? Sure, Davis. Um, happy to talk about my own journey. So really, this transformation that I've gone through has really been been down to my health. I was born two months premature and my health has always been compromised as a as a preemie baby. I was really given a lot of antibiotics and I wasn't form I wasn't breastfed so I was formula fed and that led to me um, experiencing a lot of um, illness, every cold and flu and virus and and certain diseases that would go around, I would pick them up and get the worst case of them. And I became quite intolerant to a whole range of foods and then started to develop autoimmune conditions. And I was feeling pretty miserable by the time I hit my mid-30s, um, which was only a couple of years ago. And I was working really long hours. I was, you know, in corporate world, in um, senior marketing roles. And I just thought, you know, this, this just doesn't seem like the life that I thought I was going to be living. Something's got to give. And I could see my health was giving. And it was time to do something about it. So I um, very luckily found an amazing naturopath here in Melbourne who diagnosed me with this condition called small intestinal bacterial overgrowth, which you um, mentioned. And that's the largest underlying cause for irritable bowel syndrome, which about one in four Australians and, and generally one in five Americans 
suffer from irritable bowel syndrome and um, they now know that there is this thing that is causing it in many cases, not all cases, but many cases. And I discovered that I had that. And and as I went through my treatment, I thought, why is no one talking about this? It was right at its um, infancy here in Australia and relatively new in the States. And there just didn't seem to be much going on um, in terms of public awareness. And the better I felt as I went through my treatment, the more I thought to myself, I've got all of these marketing skills and I've got this personal journey where I've really transformed my health. I think I need to do something about it. And uh, and so I have. <laughs> and I now have this new, brand new business and I never thought that I would be doing it. I thought I'd be, you know, high-flying marketer for my whole career. And I've completely taken a, a complete turnabout uh, with my career, but I love it. And I can use my marketing skills in my new business, which has definitely allowed me to grow rapidly. And to, like you say um, in the intro, which was so lovely, uh, be able to grow a global following pretty quickly. Yeah, and I was very impressed with how you hold your presence on stage. Um, it was a it was a fairly big event when we had that um, key person of influence um, made up, um, I think probably a year ago. And, um, you know, I think everybody ha- had a bit of a sense of, of, of a wow factor based on your story and how you've trans- translated your, your pain point and the struggle into your new business. But before we get stuck into that, just help me understand a little bit about your your corporate work, um, not so much what you were doing, but how did you transition out of corporate and into where you are now? Well, I it had been in the making for uh, about two years. So I'd been working with a really big um, hospitality company here in Melbourne, Australia, and I there had been a huge change within the business. They were bought by private equity and it just transformed the business overnight from my most most favorite job of all time to one of my least favorite jobs of all time. And I decided to take some time out. Um, I was made redundant and I took several months out. I felt completely burnt out and I went and traveled around South America and then had a near fatal diving accident, which is always a great uh, way to give you a bit of perspective on what you want out of life. And I came back to Australia and I thought, you know, maybe I'll try my hand in the not-for-profit sector and I love animals and I'll go and work with animals and for one of the animal charities. And I realized that I'm far too commercial in my thinking um, to work with people that perhaps don't have that commercial experience. And uh, and that's not to say that all not-for-profits have people that don't have commercial experience, but in this organization, they were very few and far between. And as my health deteriorated and my work enjoyment deteriorated, I thought, oh, it's time to make a change. And uh, I have worked for myself previously in my early 20s. I had my own business and I loved it. And I thought, you know what? I'm doing that again. I'm, uh, I've got enough money saved up that if, you know, I'll give myself six months to make it work. And if I can't make it work, well, I'll just go and get another job. I'm highly employable, but, you know, let's see what I can do. And I've come from a family where my parents ran their own business. So I've been surrounded by self-employed people my whole life. I 
we they ran their business from the house. So I grew up literally watching a business operate, and uh, you know, dinner table conversation was always about business. So it really is in my blood. And and uh, my my dad, when I announced that I was going out and starting up my marketing consultancy, he said, darling, why? <laughs> You've seen how hard I work. Why do you want to do it? And I said, well, because I want to be my, the, you know, master of my own destiny and I'm, and I'm tired of working for people that don't appreciate my skills. And, um, and he was worried, and I understand this as a parent, he was worried that I was going to work really hard and you know, really struggle financially. But I was able to secure clients very quickly with my marketing work. And um, the problem that I faced was not financial struggles. It was how do I actually manage all of this work? I've got too much work and not enough me. Nice. <laughs> yeah. So that- how did you get your first client? Well, I had been in the events, uh, you know, working in hospitality and events. Uh, I had also sat on the um, Special Events Society, which was known as ISIS and had to rebrand <laughs> a bit uh, ILEA <laughs> because uh, its name no longer uh, worked for it. And I had sat on the executive committee as as the um, vice president and I had a very broad network. And I actually just sent an email out to my network and said, hey, you know, I'm going, I'm thinking about going out on my own. Does anybody need any marketing support? And within 30 seconds, I had an email back from one of my friends uh, and associates. And, and she said, we do, we, we're rebranding and we're doing an event. We'd love you to support us with it. And that really snowballed into, you know, as soon as I'd got my first gig, I felt it gave me more confidence as well and uh, and they talked to people and then through them I had other clients come through and then just through my network uh, and I really worked my network to get to get work and within three months I was flat out <laughs> so it was it was an interesting problem to have because I was thinking that I was going to have a pretty leisurely life and uh, well I was working kind of 80-hour weeks and thinking, hmm, this is not what I went out on my own to do. I'm working harder than I was at working before. Something's got to give. When you say you worked your network, what does that mean? Give me some practical examples. Sure. So, it was I literally sat down and I went through my email list. I went through Facebook and I went through LinkedIn and I looked at who I knew As I said, I I was pretty well networked within the events and hospitality industry here in Melbourne. And I just started emailing people saying, hey, I've gone out on my own. This is what I'm doing. You know, do you know anybody that might be looking for some marketing support? Um, You know, I'm available. And highlighting the fact that I came with almost 20 years marketing experience that they, you know, and I was targeting small to medium-sized businesses that either didn't have a marketing manager but knew they needed marketing support or they had somebody in the business doing marketing but they didn't have the experience that I had and that I was able to come in as a more senior strategic marketer and and really work with the business owners around their growth. And I talked about, you know, uh, really highlighting the fact that I support businesses to grow or identify where their pain points are and, and help them through that. 
and that's really what I was doing. I was working with businesses that were at a point of change, either like my first client, they were rebranding. I had uh, another client who had been you know, very successful, but the sales just weren't coming through and they knew that they needed to shake things up. So, um, they knew that they, you know, they'd taken their eye off eye off the ball when it came to their marketing strategy. Um, they were very tactical, but they weren't strategic. So they needed that strategic approach, and that's where I was able to help them. What was the big thing you changed for those? Do you think um, it was around planning? So sitting down and talking to them about where were they wanting to go? What did the future look like for them? You know, taking their you know, you, you get stuck in the hamster wheel often with running a business and you're just so focused on what you've got to do today that you're not looking forward to what you've got to do for 12 months time or two years time. And so I gave them that uh, pause where I forced them really because I, of my presence to start taking, lifting their head up and looking forward rather than looking down or looking backwards. And so just by virtue of that process that often allowed them to realize where there were inefficiencies, where they were spending far too much time being administrative and not being strategic. Often we, um, for many of my clients, there would be a, um, a moment in time where they would, through my support, recognize that either they didn't have the right people in the positions or they needed different people or, or new people to come in to support them. And it was we'd really be doing this full overview of their business of, you know, what's working and what's not working. And prior to, to doing the hospitality and events uh, world, I had worked in retail in both here in Australia and in the UK. So I have this really interesting mix of experience where not only am I strategic and a marketer, but I've also run retail stores. I ran nearly 400 stores across the UK and uh, Holland and when I was in the UK. And so I'm, I'm also very good operationally. So I can look at a business from both angles and say, you know, operationally, it's just, you know, you've got a lot of uh, bottlenecks that's not working. Let's address that. That will help the flow and that will help the customer experience. And then let's also think strategically. I love I love the fact that um, you know that third party conversation where you reaching out to a network and saying you know do you know anybody that needs this thing it kind of deflects from them feeling like oh or you feel like you're selling to them as such but you're really just trying to tap the network and to see who they know and everybody loves to help their friends and um, so I'm sure that that's a good that's a good strategy for for anybody who's thinking about doing that I want to quickly flip into what you're doing right now you said you've um, gone in to have your SIBO treated and then you know a light bulb moment happens just walk us through what happened there so I was doing the uh, dent business accelerator program this was about two and a half years ago about two and a half years ago and you know it was an incredible program I'm really glad I did it and they were talking about how you can often be standing on a mountain of value, but you don't realize it. And as I was going through their course, which is a 40-week program, I realized that I was standing on a mountain of value, which was that I had a personal experience of 36 years of chronic illness. I had discovered I had this condition, which was relatively, relatively simple to treat for me, not for everybody, but for me. I have a passion for cooking 
and that I could see an immediate gap in the market, which was that there were no recipes or no cookbooks for people with this condition because you need to eat a modified diet while you're treating it. And I'm quick when I get my mind set on something. And so I went to market. Um, It took me a month from start to finish to get a cookbook out, my first cookbook. And it was the world's first cookbook for this. So I was able to harness, you know, realize the opportunity and then act on it and turn it into a business pretty quickly. But I'll say that it wasn't without its challenges. I really struggled in those early days with what's what I call imposter syndrome. And that was that I just didn't feel like I had the credibility or credentials to be talking to people about their health because I do not have a medical qualification. And I just couldn't get my um, my mind around the fact that people wouldn't mind that I didn't have a medical qualification because it was my story that they were interested in as just a normal everyday woman who had recovered from being chronically unwell. And as my you know, by I put my first cookbook out first as an ebook, and then had all of this information, all these emails from people saying, "Can I buy a printed copy?" And suddenly, I'd get an email from the UK or the US, and I'm thinking, "How do these people like? How do they know me? This is amazing!" Yeah. <laughs> and they'd say to me, "Can we? We we need you to help me. I need you to help me." And I'd say to them, "But I'm not a doctor." And they'd say, "I don't care. I just want to." I want to do what you did. How did you do what you did? And so that was that was really empowering to realize that um you know I had an opportunity to coach and mentor people through their own journey and um work with the medically medically qualified practitioners who can then provide the actual medical treatment. And uh, and so that's how I built a new business around doing that. Congratulations number 1. Number 2 well, why a cookbook? Is that the treatment you you got from your um, naturopath? It's part of the treatment. And because you strip out so many commonly eaten foods, so you cannot have any gluten, any grains, um, you've got to go quite low carbohydrates. So things like potatoes and rice are generally quite problematic for people. No sugar initially, no fruit initially. Uh, you've got to strip out any alcohol, um, no processed food. So you're cooking from scratch for every meal. And that can be quite overwhelming. And in the early days, it was literally, here's a list of foods, now go and cook with them. And there were no recipes for it. So I used it as a positive challenge because I love to cook, but I could see that for the people that don't love to cook, that it was so completely overwhelming. And my naturopath said to me, and I just have people not do the treatment because they're so overwhelmed with the diet component and they're staying sick because they just can't cope with figuring out how to eat in this different way. And so I could see that whilst diet alone won't um, cure this condition, it's very important to help people feel better and it's a great tool to reduce the symptoms. And so I could see that there was this huge problem out there that no one was solving and my cookbook would solve a problem, which it has done for people. And, And what I love now is that I often have people contact me and say, 
I was literally eating five foods because I did not know what to cook. And then I purchased your cookbook and now I'm eating 40 foods and I've had, I'm eating (laughs) such a diverse range of foods because I'm not scared to try new things because I know your, your recipes are suitable. And that's wonderful. Got it. So, so you've given them the validation and the testimonials prove that, you know, it's tested or whatever words you, you use for it. And that's, that's a great bonus. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Now, I want to ask you practically, the cookbook, how did you manage to go from zero to book in one month? What did you do? How did you go about that process? I am as stubborn as all hell and I do not be- – and I <laughs> – to my – to the positive and the ne- the negative of my personality, I never believe that I can't do something if I set my mind to it. So I love um, photography and I'm very lucky to have a friend who is a, photog- a professional photographer who just happens to be a food photographer and she coached me through how to take food photography uh, images and, you know, the, some of the early photos that I took are just revolting and I'm so glad that I had her support. Um, and she coached and guided me through how to take photos for the first cookbook. I photographed the entire thing and I literally, I, I would spend probably anywhere from 12 to 16 hours a day working on it. So I put up onto Upwork that I was looking for a graphic designer to help me um, do an ebook. And I found one who um, is based in Spain. And without knowing, she in herself has SIBO, which was so funny when we realized that. So she's got a personal interest in it, which has helped enormously. Um, so I would spend the day just photographed at home. So I was just using natural light. So I'd have uh, my overtook my parents' house. They've got a huge amount of windows. So um, their house was covered in food and boards and cameras and I'd cook during the day, photograph um, during the day and then in the evening when she came online, I would then be sending her images, I'd be writing up the recipes, sending her the, the content for the book so that she would then slot that in and I just did that every day, almost seven days a week for the month. And that's how I went from zero, from absolutely nothing to complete cookbook within one month. Uh, it was pretty intense and um, I didn't do much else other than that. I had a lot of friends popping in to get all my leftover food because once you've spent all day looking at it, the last thing you want to do is eat it. And my parents were very happy to be guinea pigs on my um, taste testing and uh, and they also supported me through, you know, doing all of the dishes and cleaning up and going to the supermarket when I realized I'd forgotten something. So I had a lot of support from them to to get this out. And how did you get it tested? Because I know there's people out there listening who are thinking it could be in a different niche and they're thinking, you know, that thing you were saying before, that imposter syndrome, I'm not, a, I'm not a medical person, I'm not a chemist, I can't put this stuff together and ask people to use it. Maybe it's a facial cream or a hair product or something like that or a food even. How do you get it tested and get comfortable with that? Well, I 
partnered with Australia's leading SIBO specialist, um, a woman called Dr. Narala Jacoby, and she had developed a diet protocol which I followed. And so I made contact with her and told her that I would like to um, do cookbooks using her protocol and did I have her permission to use her protocol. And so we negotiated um, the terms of me using that. And so that gave me the, I guess, the authority to use this diet because it was hers and then I just made sure that my recipes were all compliant to that but then as I created recipes and you know I'm bearing in mind I'm creating recipes and then photographing them and writing them up I put a call out again through Facebook and my network saying who wants to test recipes for me there'll be a word document or a Google Doc, I literally just need you to put your hand up and agree to test two or three. It doesn't need to be the whole book. And so I had probably about 15 people testing a couple of recipes each for me so that I could check the methodology actually worked. And yeah, that's that's what I did to get it going. Because there is a bit of a risk, you know, one of those 15 puts their hand up and then they go and test the recipe and it takes them to hospital, right? Well, I wasn't asking anybody to do anything with raw food, raw fish or anything like that. It was all very simple cooking. So there really weren't overt risks unless somebody sliced a finger off in in the process of testing a recipe. But, you know, that's that really wouldn't have been my fault. That would have been no. an accident <laughs> in the kitchen. So... They're not a cook. Yeah. And, you know, it was an understanding that it was helping me out. And it was all friends that were helping me. They weren't strangers. So they they knew what I was trying to achieve. And what did the book then do for you? And what has it done since you've launched that first book? Well, what I did when I first launched it was I had a database of zero people. I had launched a Facebook page for The Healthy Gut. And I had asked friends and family and everybody I knew to come and like the page. So I had a couple of hundred people on the page, but mostly people I knew. There were very few unknown people to me at that point. There was uh, and still is a very active Facebook group for SIBO and I'd been very active in it myself. So I made the decision that I was going to give my cookbook away for free for the first two weeks. Um, the only thing that I needed in in um, exchange was a name and an email address in order for them to um, sign up to get a free copy of the book. And I posted on the Facebook group that it was a gift to say thank you to everybody that had helped me through my journey. And I actually launched it on Christmas Day uh, two years ago. And I sent an email out. I just had my free account with MailChimp and I had set up a landing page on my website um, so I could capture people's first name and email address. And I shared that post with Facebook, um, with the Facebook group and my own personal um, social media channels. And very quickly, I went from zero to several hundred on Christmas Day and then it grew to over a thousand quite quickly, which was very exciting to have um, all of those people on my database. But what I then needed to do was actually build a community of people that were willing to buy from me. And I have seen that that community that got the free ebook haven't converted overly well into being paying customers. 
a lot of them are still on my database and they're still happy to receive my newsletter and when I, I send out a lot of free recipes and um, very you know interesting content and articles around SIBO, but they're not necessarily willing to buy. But it did give me a launch. It gave me something to go out and start talking to and start building a community and getting them to come across onto my Facebook page so that then when they liked a post or commented on a post, it shared it with their friends and their social networks. And, that, and that's how I really started to grow my platform and my following. I like it. Now, I always ask my guests, what are your core revenue streams? And I didn't ask you at the beginning. So just walk me through what your current core revenue streams are, and then we'll come back to the, to the, to the cookbooks. Sure. So my cookbooks are one of them, and they were my main revenue stream for a long time. Um, as I built new products. Um, I now have my SIBO coaching program and that's um, monthly subscription to live webinars with me and special speakers. So they get access to the world's top SIBO doctors who come on as a special guest. Then I also now do other, I'm just about to launch my menu plan so that, you know one of the things that people really struggle with is okay I've got recipes but how do I work out well what I will be eating for the entire week so that will be a new product stream for me and then other um, events so I do quite a lot of events and shopping tours where I teach people how to actually shop for this new way of eating and I also have a contribution um, button for my podcast. I am in the process of securing sponsors for my podcast. So that will be a new revenue stream. But at the moment, I ask people to donate or sorry, I can't say donate because I'm not a not-for-profit, uh, contribute money towards the running of the podcast. And um, I wouldn't say that that's going to make me millions, but it has definitely been uh you know, another revenue stream for me. Right. And what about the um, cost of, you know, printing and stuff like that? How do you, how have you gone about that? Are you printing offshore and is that a bit of a huge challenge or? Well, that has been an experience in itself. <laughs> I really wanted to work with a local based um, company. I really like supporting Australian businesses. And I, again, went out to my network and said, who knows a really good printer? I'm looking to print my cookbooks. I need someone that's got experience with books. And I found a printer here in Melbourne, and he did the initial run of my first cookbook. And he did it really well. I was really happy with him. And then I went back to him for my second cookbook, and it was literally a disaster after a disaster after a disaster. In the end, he had to reprint my book. He must have made such a loss on it. He had to do it eight times because every time he would deliver my book, there would be a major fault in it. And it became so incredibly frustrating. So I ended up going off to China to print uh, my books, um, which meant that I was printing a lot more. I'd just been doing a few hundred copies at a time, whereas I needed to do a minimum of a thousand units in um, per book in China. And that comes with its own challenges of where do you store two pallets of books? Um, how do you get them delivered to you? Because I was just working out of home and suddenly I'm thinking, oh my gosh, I've got two pallets of books coming. And then in more recent times, I negotiated a partnership with a US-based business who have purchased the rights 
to my books for the US editions um, and they now manage the printing, the orders and the distribution of my books to the customers in America and also Canada. Uh, so that's been a really great way to, you know, I, I had a problem whereby I have more people coming to me from the States than I do from Australia, yet I'm based in Australia. And I needed to find a solution, you know, and I wasn't going to move over there immediately. So I went and um, again, went out to my network. I pitched the idea that I needed a business to partner with me who was interested in um, basically funding the printing of the books and who also had the facilities to distribute them and that we would share the the profits or the revenue on the book. And um, and so my network then went out to their network and found me a partner and, um, and that's working really well. So there's ways around funding things. You know, initially I was funding it all out of my savings, but now I'm thinking a little bit more smartly around well, who else has money that might be interested in working with me to talk to these people? I like it. I love the joint venture approach and just, you know, profit sharing arrangements to bring people in. How many um, volumes? I guess you've probably finished a couple of thousand units already, judging from the fact that you've been ordering more and more. Yeah, I have. I've sold several thousand books, so I can't tell you the exact number because I don't know it off the top of my head. But um, yeah, there's... <laughs> That's great. That's really good. Because, I mean, the book industry is a challenging one, but um, I'm also interested in the fact that you're now going into menu plans, which which sounds like a going to be um, like a weekly or monthly subscription model. Um, is that right? Is that the model you're going to be using? It will become that. So initially it's just launching as just here is a two-week meal plan, um, but it will then move into subscription. And one of the things that I realized was that I didn't have enough products that people could keep buying. They want to buy from me. And because doing a full cookbook is really time consuming and very expensive when you go to print, that was slowing me down to to create things for the market. And I also realized through my social media channels and, and my podcast when I started to you know hear from people what they want from me is food solutions and I just wasn't giving them enough. So the meal plans are a really great avenue for me to put them, have a recurring revenue stream, um, have something that people can keep buying and buying and buying and it's set up. I've now got a subscription functionality on my website. I use WooCommerce um, uh, so that I'm able to do that. I don't even have to chase anybody for payment. It just does it all for them and it links into PayPal or Stripe, which I use for my payment processes. And what I can see is the more products I can do like that where I don't, re- you know, it's selling itself, then the better it is for me financially because I don't, it's not time for money, which, um, makes more sense from a business perspective. And it's also giving people what they want, which is solutions to the pain point around what on earth do I eat. The other thing that I could see was, again, because I know that people want me to help them with their food solutions, is that I'm now partnering with a business who do ready-made meals in the States, and they're going to do a SIBO-friendly line um, under my name. 
and I'm also developing a snack range. So people then can go and physically buy snack food that is suitable for them. And because I've built up this, I guess, this brand and this reputation as someone that knows what they're talking about when it comes to food, um, I have got enormous interest from it. And and I'll share with your listeners what I've done in order to, again, I'm always thinking about how do I build um, uh, data on around people so that I can communicate to them. So I set up a really easy online survey through Google Forms and I asked people, you know, I said, I'm doing a snack range and a ready-made meal range. What do you need them to cater to? What dietary requirements do you need them to cater to? Um, Let me know so I can make sure that when I develop them, they're right for you. And at the end, I said, if you would like to be the first to know when they're available, leave your name and email address and I'll be in touch. And I've had over 600 people um, in a very short space of time already fill in this survey. And you know, I plan on that getting into the thousands. So you can, you can, when you're starting from zero, you can get data quite easily if you just think a little bit creatively about um, how you can do it. And again, it's always about uh, how do you solve the pain points and the problems that these people are facing? And if you can show that you're solving them, they'll be happy to give their email address, providing that you then don't abuse that trust. You need to deliver on your promise. What I love about that concept is something that I heard um, Mal Emery from Perth. Um, I don't know if you've heard of him or from Western Australia, but he, he was um, saying, you know, a lot of the times as marketers or as business owners, we go out and we assume what our customers would need is X, but actually it's better off. We ask our customers, what do you need? And then they'll tell us, you like, actually want Y and Z. And then when we go and re- reverse engineer that, it's a much more successful outcome for both parties. So, so I love that approach. And um, congratulations on that. I'm really excited for you. I hope um, we can bring you back on the show once you have had, you know, those ventures take off and you can come and teach us back again as to how to go about, you know, um, ready-made meals and the the snack snack line. I think that's pretty exciting. You must be pretty excited. I am. It's another steep learning curve. I've never done this. I've worked with um, chefs and and commercial catering, but I've never worked in uh, making my own snack range. But what I'll just say on your point about the research, I have asked my customer base or my potential customer base at every step of the way. So when it came to cookbooks, I went out to that Facebook group and said, I'm writing recipes. What recipes do you or what meals do you struggle with the most? If I was to to write recipes for you, what would you like them to be about? So I collected data there. When I was doing my coaching program, I sent out another survey to people saying, where do you need help in your life with SIBO? And I had a huge response from that. So I got very clear data on what they wanted with that. And, you know, I've done the same with the meal plans. I've tested them amongst my existing client base. And now obviously I'm uh, using surveys to ask people about the snacks. So it means that when I do go to market with something, I'm pretty confident that the market wants it because they've already told me what they want. 
So it's a really important step in the process. And I urge anyone listening that when it comes to developing a new product or service, before you spend any money on marketing it and promoting it, make sure that you've done your due diligence and that you've spoken to your ideal target market about whether it's something they actually want. I love it. And you also mentioned before, before you started printing, you you had people reach out to you and say, can I have a printed copy? And obviously, I believe it leads to more authority, doesn't it? When you've got a printed copy of your book rather than just an e-book. It does, particularly with a cookbook. People want to be able to have it in front of them in the kitchen while they're cooking. There's something that uh, Andrew Griffiths says, and he's Australia's leading business author, um, business book author, and he talks about the thud value. When you throw an iPad down, you don't get the thud value as you do when you throw a book down. When you throw an iPad down, you're just worrying about breaking the screen. Um, Whereas when you hand a book to somebody, that immediately sets you apart. And how that worked for me, and I'll just share this little story with your listeners, is when I had just printed my second book, I became aware of a big conference in the States for SIBO. And all of the top doctors were going to be there. And I wanted them to know me. And I also wanted to know them. You know, I was having all of these nightmares with my printer. And literally, you know, hours before I boarded my plane to the States, I had a delivery of books that were reasonable enough for me to take with me to America. I turned up at this conference. I literally had packed almost nothing in my suitcase other than cookbooks. I, I had looked at the speakers list, so I knew who was there. I'd packed enough books for to give to these speakers and plenty of business cards. And then I turned up there as this brash Australian woman and gave cookbooks out and signed them for people. And they were so impressed with the quality of my books and just me doing that, that that opened enormous doors for people to the point where then the doctors themselves were like, did you get a book from Rebecca? I got a signed book. Oh, you haven't got a book. Maybe (laughs) she's not going to give you one. So there became a bit of a buzz within the doctors themselves around me. And they now talk about, because I've become friends with so many of them, they now talk about how they're really proud to have the first edition of my book before I had really started. Now, that would not have happened with an e book. You don't have the same impact when you're handing someone an electronic file because you can't physically hand it to them. Whereas when you can sign a book in front of them, make it out to them, hand it over to them, give it as a gift, that's really powerful. And most people talk about saying, you know, they might, most people say, one day I plan on writing a book, but very people do. So the moment you become an author, you are in a very different category of people in the world, those that have written a book and published it and those that haven't. Those that want to. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, thank you for sharing that story. And uh, it's interesting because I was listening to a podcast just yesterday and um, this gentleman was just sharing about how the, the whole process of you um, autographing a book in front of like a conference um, host or um, a conference organizer and say, hey, I want to come and speak at your conference. Here's my book. How do I spell your name? Blah, blah, blah. He says, that's a memorable experience and they'll probably call you to come in and become a speaker or as as in your case, I think, um, you know, you've had more opportunities and uh, which will lead me into my, my kind of my final question is around your podcast. You know, how did that translate into you generating your podcast and how does that sit in your sales funnel today? So the podcast was a direct result of me attending that conference in the States. 
States, I came away having met all of those amazing doctors who are so knowledgeable on this condition. And I thought, this information needs to get out to the lay person. It's known within the doctor's circles, but it's not known enough amongst patients. And because I'd opened a door to those doctors, I then contacted them when I got back to Australia, thanked them, said it was lovely to meet them, and then said, I'm launching a podcast on SIBO. I would love to invite you on as my guest. Just because of the way I had operated myself when I was there, my very first guest on the podcast was the top SIBO doctor. And we did a two-part special. And so I launched with an absolute bang. So that immediately gave me credibility that if she came on my podcast, it must be a good podcast. And then in quick succession, I had a whole bunch of other really um, top doctors come onto the podcast. And I look back now and think, wow, God, I had some guts to go and do that. What the podcast has done for me is it has really given me the authority in a space where I don't have medical qualifications, but I do now stand alongside the wonderful doctors who are treating this condition as someone that is seen as an, a knowledgeable person in this space. And I've really taken the mantle as the patient the, the voice of the patient. And what has blown me away is that I now have these doctors coming to me, asking me for my insights into the patient realm because I talk on behalf of the patients. So it's incredible what I've been able to achieve in 12 months. The podcast has also opened doors for me. You know, this is, I consider my podcast as a free gift and something that is called the ascending transaction model, which the guys at Dent talk about and what I learned in the 40-week program is you can't take people from not knowing you to asking them to pay thousands of dollars for your core product. You need to take them on a series of steps where you start small, start with something free and then work your way up to your key product. And so my podcast is my free product. It's my free gift. The only thing you need to invest in to listen to it is your time. But I make the content really engaging and I'm always interviewing top specialists and we're diving deeply into a particular topic within the the broader realm of SIBO. So the listeners are very interested in that particular topic. I have in recent times started promoting my services more heavily than I have done before. Uh, so I have a break within the middle of the podcast and I promote either my coaching program or my cookbooks. And I'm really testing the waters on that because I do intend to generate revenue through it through sponsorship. But having the podcast you know, it opens doors. I can contact doctors that might not have otherwise taken an email or a call from me to say, I'd like to come invite you onto the show. They have a great time being interviewed by me. And then I have built some form of relationship with them so that next time I contact them, it's warm. And it is giving me the credibility. So with the partnership with the US business, if I didn't have my podcast or my cookbooks, they just wouldn't have looked at me because I I would have been nobody. But for me to be able to pitch myself to them as I'm a podcaster, I've got this number of thousands of people, hundreds of thousands now of people listening to what I'm talking about. I've got authority. I've got, um, you know, I've got scale. I've got people across the world listening to me. It has given me credibility in a pretty short space of time. And I'm, I haven't yet 
hit my first anniversary of my podcast and and it's been a pretty quick trajectory since the launch. That's great and congratulations on that because I know there's many podcasts out there so you know to make it a little bit of a splash um, means you're doing you're doing a quality job and people are enjoying what you're doing. I wanted to ask you as well very quickly have you concluded your marketing consultancy and are you doing this full-time now? I haven't. I still do it. But what I have done is I've realigned who my target market is for my marketing services, and that is health and wellness businesses. You know, I really love my passion and one of my visions with what I want my life to be about is helping to reduce disease, obesity, and chronic illness in the global population. So if I can then use my marketing skills to support other health and wellness businesses to improve their offering and have more clients come through their services so that they can help people get well, then I'm still achieving my ultimate goals either through the Healthy Gut business or my marketing consultancy. That's a great realignment. And I think that's something that will probably continue even whilst your business on the other side keeps growing. Now, Rebecca, what is the best way for people to connect with you? So um, the best way is through my website, which is thehealthygut.co. I also love hearing from people. So people are more than welcome to drop me an email at info at thehealthygut.co. I'm also on all the major social media platforms. They can just look for The Healthy Gut um, or LinkedIn. They can look for Rebecca Coombs. Awesome. We're going to link all of that up in the show notes for everybody. And what we also do on this show is um, we provide a show highlight reel so you don't have to take notes throughout the show, but we'll summarize all the key points and all the key moments in Rebecca's story. And you can go to businessgenerals.com forward slash Rebecca C. And that's Rebecca with a double C. That's right. Rebecca C. And uh, you'll be yes. able to download all, <laughs> of the, all the show notes out of that, out of this episode. So, Rebecca, I always ask my guests this final question. But before I do that, I just want to thank you for coming on the show, for all the lives that you're touching right around the world, for investing all the time that you have in, you know, creating those cookbooks and helping people's physical and healthy lives, uh, health lives transform literally. And, um, and more specifically for coming onto this show and pouring out your words of wisdom around marketing, growing a small business and just becoming a more fulfilled individual. So really thank you for your, for your time. My pleasure, Davis. Thanks for having me. Now for the last question, when all is said and done, do you think about legacy? And if you do, what legacy do you want to leave and be remembered for? I do think about legacy. Um, I really have felt since for a very long time that there's a reason I survived my traumatic birth and that was that there was something greater that I was going to be doing with my life and I can now see that that purpose is around helping people to regain their health and live help healthier and happier lives. So I hope that when um, my time comes and uh, and I'm long gone that people look back and say, wow, Rebecca Coombs made an enormous difference to the lives of millions of people around the world by helping them to feel empowered and educated to take control of their health so that they could reduce their chronic illness to be um, diabetes and obesity and disease. Uh, so I really hope that uh, I achieve that vision that I've set for myself. Wow, that is amazing. I, I totally felt your passion there. So thank you for sharing that. Well, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for hanging out with me and Rebecca today. I hope you enjoyed that show that was power-packed with lots of different tips and, and information and education. Remember to head on over to businessgenerals.com for all the show notes 
and go to businessjournals.com forward slash Rebecca C and you'll be able to download the show highlight reel and uh, you can connect with Rebecca at thehealthygut.co and we're going to put all of this in the show notes. Rebecca, thank you so much for being on the Business Journals podcast today and for sharing your story with us. We are absolutely grateful. You are a true business general. Thank you. Thank you so much. Hey, what's up, Business Journals family? Thank you for joining me and for listening to the Business Journals podcast. Connect with me at Davis Mutabwa. That's D-A-V-I-S-M-U-T-A-B-W-A. Connect with me on Facebook, on Twitter, on LinkedIn, and you can certainly find me at our podcast blog, businessjournals.com. And while you're there, remember to access all the show notes, a ton of free resources, killer training, and so much more. Love you guys. Thank you for joining me. Ciao.